Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. What is our first response? How do you feel when things maybe don't turn out? Maybe when you get to the point that you're fed up. Maybe that's enough. Have you thought, I don't know if I can go through if there's another lockdown or if I've got to spend another week in isolation with my kids or the rest of my family. I don't know if I can handle that again. I don't know if you're feeling that, those people who are at home. Um, Maybe you get to the point where you're feeling like I'm at the end of my rope. That's enough. There's enough of that. I don't know if you've heard that expression before, that's enough. If you wanted a subtitle for this morning's message, I'm actually calling the message, that's enough. So if you get to the point this morning that you've had enough of me talking, just shout out, that's enough. I'll back up and go home and we can all grab some liberté. Now, often we use that expression, that's enough. I don't know if you've thought about when you hear or use that expression. For me, uh, associated with one of my great loves in life, which is food, um, that's enough. Uh, so when you might go and order something, you might go out to a restaurant, uh, you get to the end of the meal and they're like, well, yeah, how was it? And they might be like, well, it was, it was good enough. Kind of indicating that idea that, well, you know, it wasn't terrible, but... It was, it was a bit mediocre. I don't know if I'll come back here again. Uh, the food was hot enough, um, but maybe you've even said, I've had enough. And it got me thinking about this story this morning. Have you ever been on a family road trip? Who's ever piled the family into the car, headed off for a long road trip? Yes, I can see a few people up the back there. Piled everybody into the car, heading off on a family road trip. I remember one of our longest holidays growing up as a kid was we decided to pack up the car here in Murray Bridge and drive to the beautiful place of Tasmania. Is there anyone who loves Tasmania out there? There's a few Tasmanians in the house. Uh, So this meant there was a lot, and I mean a lot, of driving to get from here to Tasmania, including catching the ferry across from Melbourne. So we packed everything up. I remember our Falcon wagon with the back of it chocked full right up to the roof where you've crammed the last pillow right into that last little spot. Everything's tightly packed in there, including we had bought a brand new tent. Now, we grew up as caravanning people. I don't do tenting. We had brought a brand new tent, packed it into the back of the wagon, which proceeded to just travel around Tasmania with us because we decided it was way too cold to go sleeping in a tent. But we packed everything in, and we spent a whole day driving from Murray Bridge to get to Melbourne. Now, I need to let you know this was a few years ago. So this was before the days of phones that had Google Maps that could tell you exactly where you needed to go. Back in the day, for all those young people in the house, back in the day we used to have a thing called a street directory. Does anyone remember those things? And you would get a page at a time, and each page would have different parts of the city. So if you were driving too quickly, you would run off the page, and you'd have to find where the next page was. And sometimes it would be the next page in the book, and sometimes it would be some other random chapter 50 pages later. And it would take ages to try and find the page. So anyway, so we're driving into Melbourne, because to go from Murraybridge to Melbourne is not that hard. There's pretty well one road, just keep driving, and you end up somewhere near Melbourne. Anyway, we come into Melbourne, 
And mum had spent time beforehand studying the street directory, knowing where we need to go, which roads we need to turn, and got a really clear idea where we needed to go. Well, we get to Melbourne. First time I had ever been to Melbourne. So many roads, nothing like Adelaide, nothing like Murray Bridge. Roads everywhere, traffic everywhere, people everywhere. There was so much that was so unfamiliar and that's when it all started. With dad driving and mum in the co-pilot seat trying to flip through the street directory. Hey, hang on, I think we were meant to turn back there. Oh, no, we missed that turn. All right, uh, that's okay, we'll take the next turn. Uh, no, oh, hang on, no, you can't turn down there, it's a one-way road. Oh, no, how are we going to go? I think Peter's got a picture for us, potentially up on the screen, of the Westgate Bridge. I don't know if you've ever been across this bridge in Melbourne. As a kid going there for the first time, this blew my mind. Who creates a road that has 10 lanes of traffic on one bridge? This is ridiculous. So anyway, so we'd miss the turn. So we keep going. We end up going across the Westgate Bridge. Then we missed where we needed to go. So then we need to turn around. Okay, that's all right. We'll just turn around. Turn it, take a U-turn, go back where we came from. No, we can't because it's this big giant freeway with multi-lane barriers and things in the way. So we can't go back across there. We've got to turn off some other side street. Kid you not, we went across this bridge at least three times just to get to the right place. So all of this was happening. We'd missed turns. We'd gone one way. We'd gone down another. Anyway, we got to the point where everybody in the car was starting to get hot. Everyone's getting annoyed. We'd taken some turn down some little side street in the back streets of Melbourne, pulled over, stopped the car. That's enough. Everybody out. Car stops, every door flings open at the same time, every family member takes a step in the opposite direction. That is enough. No more road trip. We're not getting back in that car for a while. I don't know if you've ever felt that moment before where you've got to the point where enough is enough. That's enough. I can't do it anymore. Maybe you've thought of that old cartoon character, Popeye, who says, that's all I can stands. I can stands. No more. No more. Sometimes life has a way of getting to us like that. When is enough enough for you and you can't find the strength to keep walking? This morning I want to share from you from Philippians chapter 4 and Paul is encouraging the church to put first things first and he's thanking them for their generosity, for their giving and he's in prison while writing this letter and yet he is full of passion and focus on the mission that God has called him to. He is content through Christ, who gives him strength. He has enough. You know, today I want to share three declarations that we can make when we feel like enough is enough. When we get to the point that that's enough, I can't stand anymore. When life gets to us and the enemy comes to kick us while we're down, that today God's word would encourage us and prepare us for our first response. I'm going to ask Jess, I have props. I work in kids' ministry. I like props. I don't know if you like props as well. We're going to, I don't know how this is going to work. Let's make some space. Thank you, Jess. Give Jess a clap. <clears throat> Jess is also one of our awesome Life Kids leaders in this morning's coordinating, so she knew to expect that I would ask for random weird things. The key passage I want to share from this morning is Philippians 4 verse 11, and it'll be up on the screen. It says, "Not it's Paul speaking, and he says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be 
content. I want to pull three things out of this verse this morning that I believe God wants to turn into declarations that I have uh, used in this last six months in my life. And I believe God wants to empower you with for whatever 2022 looks like for you, that God would give you some declarations that you can provide some spiritual first aid. So the first key this morning, if you're taking notes, I want to focus on the first part of that verse that says, Paul saying, not that I speak in regard to need. So need, it got me thinking about what is the thing that we need the most, and so often it's attached to our identity. Who are you? But given that we're in a first responders series, and I'm talking a bit about first aid kits, I did borrow this first aid kit from from the kids' shed. Rest assured, there is a second kit over there, so if anyone injures themselves, they will be okay. Uh, It's also, I think, the old one from the big bus, from many, many years ago. I remember seeing this go through lots of different episodes. Uh, Anyway, we're going to talk through uh, some interesting parts of the first aid kit to kind of help you remember what's happening this morning. So the first one, if you injure yourself, if you get cut, if something goes wrong, what is the first thing you are going to reach for other than the first aid kit and getting the first responder to come and run in? Walter kind of talked through some of these things last week. It's going to be the painful starter. Who loves the sterilizing strips? Yeah, that pain of an iodine strip getting in there and the sting as a kid. You know, you'd always get that grumpy lady who worked in the front office who just looked like she had too much fun wiping your sores with these things. The sterilizing strip. These ones here have got iodine in it. And it kind of, to me, sounds a bit like ID. Iodine, ID. Got me thinking about this idea of identity. So when an accident or an injury happens, it doesn't actually change our inside necessarily. It doesn't change who we are. If you were to be injured, you would still be the same person. But the injury gets some some dirt, some stuff in it that needs cleaning up. And so these sterilizing strips are full, but it needs cleaning. There's some dirt in there and we need to get that out so that the wound can heal. You know, Paul, he knew who he was. And he knew what he needed. Just because he was locked up in prison, awaiting trial, which in those days is likely to have been corrupted in some way, and he may not have survived to the end of the trial, he didn't lose sight of who he was. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about who you are, but it got me thinking, at the start of last year, I'm a deputy principal at Coomandrook Area School, for those people who don't know me, a little school Uh, out on the Dukes Highway, and um, at the start of last year with all of our staff, we sat down before the students come back, and there's a whole bunch of new teachers, and we need to kind of introduce everybody. So instead of just doing the standard, everybody go around the room, say who you are, what your name is, what you do, before we started, we set some ground rules, and I thought these ground rules were pretty important. We started with, you are not allowed to use the phrase, I'm just a... I don't know if you've heard people say that. You meet new people and they're like, hey, I'm just a mum. I'm just a stay-at-home dad. I'm just a cleaner. At schools, we have people who talk, well, I'm just the maths teacher. I'm just the cleaner. I'm just the front office receptionist. So we set this in motion that you are not allowed to use the word I'm just a. So anyway, so we got through half the staff introductions, talking through, you know, here's who I am, here's what I teach, here's why I like coming to school, here's why I want to work here, all of these kind of things. Someone walks in late. 
comes in partway through. They sit down, take a seat. Oh, yeah, I kind of catch on to what's happening. People are going around the room, they're saying who they are. So it gets to this particular person's turn, and they go, Hi, uh, my name's whatever their name was. I'm just a, and everybody in the room, kid you not, everybody in the room, whoa, hang on, stop there. There is no I'm just a. This person was an SSO and thought that their value was less important than anybody else's. How often do we think about ourselves in that way as well? Oh, I'm just a person who lives in Murray Bridge. I'm just someone who, you know, lives in this particular house in this particular street. Are we content or discontent with our identity? What is your ID built upon? Tent with who God had made him to be. He didn't start Philippians with, and maybe if I was him, I would have started with this. Maybe a little bit more interesting start. He could have started with Paul, prisoner of the Roman government, held against my will, and I think I would underline and emphasize that. I don't know how you do that in tablet. Um, Held against my will in filthy conditions. I think that's how I would have started this, sitting in a Roman prison writing a letter to the Philippian church. But we're going to see up on the screen, Philippians 1 verse 1, Paul actually starts with, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. He starts with this idea of bond servants of Christ. He was in prison in some pretty horrible conditions, but he knew that he was bonded to Christ. That was his identity. That was who he was. He knew who he belonged to. Do you know who you are? Do you know where you find your identity? You know, in the middle of last year, I got to this point where I was getting discontented at work, not really feeling like anything was going particularly well or particularly badly, but nothing seemed to be changing. There were still the same problems and the same issues, and I didn't seem to be getting any breakthroughs. And I'm wondering in the midst of this, you know, God, where are you and what's going on for this year? I thought this new year would be something different. There were some changes in roles and changes in people. And that started the year so optimistically, thinking that this was going to be different and get to June and July and really not much had changed. And it was kind of playing the same story with the same game and the same issues. And in the middle of those problems with not having things resolved and not getting the answers that I was looking for, feeling like, you know, is this really for me? Is this really where I want to be? But in the middle of that, the enemy steps in. When we're starting to feel discontented, the enemy stepped in and starts to question, well, who are you anyway? What makes you think that you should be doing that? Why should you be here? What makes you any different than anyone else? You know, in the middle of that season, in that situation, the enemy started to speak, questioning my identity. And I don't know if you've experienced that before, but often the enemy will do the same for each one of us. That at the time when we feel the most broken, the most hurt, the most lost, or the most discontented, the enemy will step in and try to question, who are you? What is your identity? But I'm encouraged by John chapter 1, verse 12. It's Jesus. Jesus. 
encouraging us. It says, But as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. You are a child of God. You know, in the middle of that season, to get that revelation that I am a child of God. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, I am a child of God. You are a child of God. You have worth beyond imagine. You know, your worth isn't tied up with what you have, what you don't have, who, where you are, what you do. Your identity is tied to who you belong to, bond servant of Christ. Let me encourage you with one more from John 15, starting at verse 12. And it's Jesus speaking on his way towards the cross. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in his name, he may give you. You are a child of God, chosen by him. I believe God wants to speak that into some people this morning, that your identity, wherever you've been looking for it from, should only come from Him. You are chosen by Him. He has called and anointed you for His purpose. Our identity is one of friends with God. He called us to bear fruit, loving one another. Our identity is in Christ. This is our first response. Our first response is around our identity. I know who I am. That is enough. I know who I am. That is enough. Can you say that with me? I know who I am and that is enough. Fantastic. All right, the second part of this passage. Paul goes on in Philippians 4.11 and he says, for I have learned in whatever state I am. I'm looking at the idea of learning. And so I want to give you the second piece of our first aid kit. But just before I do, I need to have a drink. Turn to the person next to you and say, what could it be? Well, after you've sterilized and gone through that painful exercise of having the grumpy first aid lady in the front office wipe your sores with the sterilizing strips, that's quite painful. You've got the dirt out of the sore. You need to do something. If it's the fact that there's probably still blood coming out of this. Yes? Yeah. Now, if it's small, you might go Band-Aid, but I thought Band-Aid's a bit pathetic for you to see from up here. So let's make this a little bit more interesting. We're going to go with Bandage. Now, I don't know if you've seen these first aid kits. I've heard that Jody is very good at stocking them and may not be too impressed that I'm pulling things apart. But there are more bandages in here than I know what to do with. There are bandages for everything. So let's have a look at some of the ones we've got. There are triangular bandage. There is, what do we got? A crepe bandage. Is it edible? I don't know. Uh, a conforming bandage. 
Conforming's good. I'm a teacher. It'd be nice if the kids conformed a bit more often. Uh, compression bandage. Sometimes we need a bit of pressure around things. But it got me thinking that like there are lots of different types of bandages, there are lots of different promises that God makes. That when our spirit needs some first aid, there are lots of options of what bandages we could choose. There are lots of promises that God gives us. I'm going to get this one out. There we go. From my vague recollections of doing a first aid course almost three years ago, so I'm due to renew it. The triangular bandage, I'm pretty sure the guy talked about, could almost be used for just about anything because we could turn it into different things. And at the end of the day, if someone's bleeding, we'll just use whatever we've got. But I wanted to encourage you this morning that like there are different types of bandages for different injuries and different types of issues, God has different promises for our situation. God's Word is filled with different verses to encourage us when we've had enough. You know, Paul, in our passage here, had learned whatever, in whatever circumstances he was, in whatever state he was in, that God has the final word. He had learned the word of God. He followed the pattern set out by Jesus. And it got me thinking, I wanted to encourage you this morning from Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 2, and it'll be up on the screen. And this is Jesus and his experience with when the enemy comes against him. He says, and when Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Just a side note, I love how understated the Bible can be at times. Like if I'd gone 40 days and 40 nights without any food, he was hungry, would not even begin to describe how potentially irate I would be and hangry I would be because I hadn't eaten anything for 40 days. Anyway, after 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, there he is questioning Jesus' identity again, command that these stones become bread. But here's what I want to pull out of this. But Jesus turned and answered, saying to him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus was under attack from the enemy. He was at the end of his rope physically and was being tempted. What was his first response? His first response was to remember, to recall, and to speak out the promises of God. The promises that God had said hundreds of years beforehand that were still true in his situation. The promises of God that hadn't changed. No, when the enemy comes on attack, when he's seeking to steal, kill, and destroy you, we need to remind ourselves of God's promises. I go back to that point in my life in the middle of last year where discontent at work and everything's a bit chaotic. I'd applied for a, a job at another school to be able to transfer. I thought, well, let's try something different. Let's see if going somewhere else will be something new, something different. Maybe that's God's will for me. And I'd kind of cobbled together an application in kind of five minutes the night before that it was due because a friend had told me about this position. And, and I put it through and thought, oh, well, nothing will happen. Whatever it is, it'll 
turn out how it is. And anyway, a couple of days later, I get the principal from this school ring me and say, um, congratulations, you've won the job. Okay, that's a bit strange, but um, okay. And so I replied and he said, yeah, we're going to send you the official email that comes through and you can respond to the email and say, yep, you've accepted the position and you're going to take the job and um, then we'll we'll organize all the moving vans and all of this kind of stuff for you. And I hung up, yeah, yeah, sure, all good, all good. The email comes through, I sent the reply through, yep, I accept the position and, and all the rest of this and just for the rest of the day felt some sort of discontent. And now it was not a discontent about being stuck where I was, but it was a discontent about going where I could be. I, to put it in context, the position was ahead of schools on Kangaroo Island, which would involve moving totally away from here. And I remember in the middle of that situation thinking, I'm not sure that this decision is right is it what God wants for me is it not is it is it an open door is it is it me chasing after something that that shouldn't be there and I remember just feeling this discontent somehow in the midst of that I was reminded of God's promises that say you are chosen my identity being reinforced his promise reclaimed again you are chosen In the midst of that, it didn't matter whether I took the job or didn't take the job, if something else came up or nothing came up, because I knew that I was chosen by God and that He would put me, just like He will for you, He will put you where He wants you to be, if we're open and obedient to His leading and guiding. I was encouraged by Ephesians Ephesians 1 verse 4. God chose us in Him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. That reminder that I am already chosen, that it doesn't matter what others think of me. It doesn't matter if I make the right choice or the wrong choice, or I'm stuck in indecision and not knowing which way to go. I am still chosen by God no matter what happens. No, it got me thinking back to where Paul was at in the midst of that verse that he's got this understanding of if I win, so be it. If I don't win, I'm still a winner because I'm on God's team. It's this idea of it's win-win. If I take this option, I win because I'm following God and He's with me. If I take the other option, I win because I'm following God and He's with me. Whatever decisions come before you in 2022, I want to encourage some people this morning, don't feel like you have to get stuck in the indecision, in not knowing which way to go. Pray, ask God to deposit something into your spirit and then confidently and boldly know that He will follow you. He will be with you in whatever choice and decision that you make that's in line with His Word. You know, in a practical sense, talking about God's promises, how can we remind ourselves of God's promises? We need to be reading God's promises. They need to be a part of who we are. And it was funny, I was talking to Peter beforehand where he's putting the scriptures up on the, putting them together for the screen. He's like, you got a lot of New King James version in there. That is very unusual. Nobody does that. 
I'm like, yes, well, that's because that's what this is. This is my Bible that I've had for more than 15 years now that I read every morning. It happens to be a New King James Version Bible, and that's the Bible that I read, and I'm not particularly pedantic about reading any particular version. I'm just dead set on, I'm going to read this every day, that this is going to be a routine that I speak over my life, the promises of God. I remember meeting with Pastor Josh one time and talked to him about this idea that, well, Josh, I feel like there's times when I'm reading the Word, and I, I don't remember what I read. I read it at half past five in the morning. I don't know what I read when it gets to five o'clock in the afternoon. But he encouraged me and said, do you remember what you had for breakfast yesterday morning? Uh, no, but I remember that I had breakfast because I wouldn't be standing by now. I want to encourage you that God's Word is the food that we need to nourish our soul and our spirit. I want to encourage you this year, if you're not already, to make a habit and a routine of reading His Word, of committing to it each and every day, of learning verses. We talk about with the kids, memorizing scriptures that you can bring back to mind when the enemy comes swinging, just like Jesus did in that story there. He quoted scripture back when the enemy was attacking him to be able to remind himself of the promises of God. If that wasn't enough about promises, I've got one more verse to ram this home. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting verse 20, and this is from the Message Translation. It says, whatever God has promised, there's those promises, whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. In Him, this is what we preach and pray. The great amen. God's yes and our yes together, gloriously evident. God affirms us. There's our identity again. Making us a sure thing in Christ, putting His yes within us. By His Spirit, He has stamped us with His eternal pledge, a sure beginning of what He's destined to complete. You know, as a first responder, one of our first responses should be to know His promises, what He has spoken. Our promises are yes and amen in Jesus. This is our first response. I know what you've spoken and that is enough. I know what He's spoken, what He's said over my life. I know what He's promised in His Word. I know what you've spoken, that is is enough. All right. You ready for our next piece of our first aid kit? This is going to get interesting because I don't know if I've got enough arms for this, but we'll see how we go. Third part of the verse that we're looking at today from Philippians 4, and we're coming closer to the close. In Philippians 4, the third part, Paul says, to be content. To be content. Got me thinking about, well, if I have had the injury swabbed with the iodine and it's, we've gone through the painful part, we've got the dirt out. It hasn't changed my identity, but it's cleaned up the stuff that's stuck to me on the outside. If I have chosen the right bandage, I've claimed the right promise for the situation, the promise that God has given me in His Word. Well, what more do we need? But I remember very vaguely, in some first aid training, that sometimes the patient might be experiencing shock. So just while I grab this out, turn to the person next to you and try and surprise them saying the word shock. Whoa. 
Someone's alive there. All right, so uh, if the person is under shock, does anyone know what this is? I don't know. To me, it looks like uh, insulation for insulating your house or something, but that's because I've been insulating over the holidays. Okay, it is, well, very shiny and reflective. I just noticed that's blinding you. That was fun. It is the emergency blanket. So once the person has had their injury cleaned and they've had, they've had the bandage, correct bandage put on, the right one claimed for their promise, then we'll often get a blanket out and we'll wrap them in it to give them this sense of comfort, to make sure that they recover from any shock that might be going on. We want to make sure that they're going to keep warm when it's cold, make sure that everything's going to be okay. They get this kind of warm embrace, this kind of love of the blanket wrapping around them. I know it got me thinking that in this third part where Paul talks about to be content, it's this idea of being accepted, of being loved. This blanket for me represents this idea of something that wraps around like a warm embrace, like the hugs that we can't give at the moment, but the embrace of our Father who loves us, God who loves us. His love comforts us and heals us. I want to go back to our key verse in Philippians 4 and and share just the last couple of parts after this piece where Paul talks about how he is content. He goes on in verse 12 and says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be both full and hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is content, knowing whether he's accepted, whether he wins or loses, whether he lives or dies, he is content because it is win-win with God. You know, in the middle of that year, in the middle of last year, on that day when that phone call had come and that decision was facing me and I was sitting in the midst of not knowing which way to go, that night was music practice. And I don't know if this ever happens to you, but God has a way of putting things regularly in your calendar and prompting you to be at a certain place at a certain time because He wants to say something to you. So I remember that night thinking, well, I don't know that I want to go to music practice. I'm that confused and I don't know whether I'm doing what God wants me to do or where I'm going and what's going on. But I was reminded of one of the names of God, Jireh, the Lord our provider. If I said no to this particular opportunity and missed the call of God, he would provide another. The story of Abraham and Isaac that speaks of this idea of God being Jireh. Let's have a look at it from Genesis 22. It says, So Abraham, he rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he stood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And he said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on his son. 
Have you ever had that experience? But dad's like, here, hold this. Never get holding the good side of that. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Hang on a minute. Abraham's old. He's been waiting all of his life to have the son of promise that God had promised he was going to have. And he's packed up everything as God has given him. And he's taken it, marched it to the top of a hill, laid it on an altar and is about to sacrifice everything. And to make it worse in the midst of this, his son, the son of promise, asks, where's the lamb? Somebody say lamb. Abraham makes this comment about God providing. You know, kind of like a friend when you're going through a horrible situation, they come up to you, hey, you'll be right. God's your provider. Yeah, good luck with that. I'm going to leave you with it. He makes this comment that God will provide. But at this point, Abraham has no idea what's going to happen. I want to jump forward to Hebrews 11 in the New Testament, which speaks about this story and what Abraham may have been thinking at that point. Hebrews 11 verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. That in that moment, I don't believe Abraham knew what the end of the story was going to be, but he believed full confidence in the God who I'm waiting for. God, you are enough. I believe in that moment that Abraham, like Paul writing in Philippians, knew his identity. He knew what God had promised. But most importantly, he knew that he was already loved. He didn't know what would happen. But Abraham knew he was loved and nothing would change that. You know, we approach the altar with our best, our first love, but we don't know the outcome. Will we offer the sacrifice and receive it back again? Or is it the end? And I'm reminded here as we bring this to a close of a message that Josh spoke in 2009. I don't know if you can remember the year 2009, and if you remember any of the messages that you've heard, hopefully you remember all of them, because all of the ones from this platform are brilliant. But this particular message was a little bit different. Josh was speaking about the story of Abraham and Isaac. And it was drawing out of the message as he brought it to a close, this idea that sometimes we walk up that mountain like Abraham did, and we offer as a sacrifice the thing we love the most, the thing that is most dearest to us. And we don't know the outcome. We don't know if we're going to receive that gift back again or if that is the end. And we have sacrificed that and we have given it over to God. 
And I remember standing, it was a Sunday night service back before Nova had started. If anyone remembers those, there was about 20 or 30 people here on a Sunday night, quite a small service for people who'd missed Sunday mornings. And I remember getting to the end of the service and Josh did an altar call and had a prayer time. And I remember standing over this side of the auditorium, praying with Josh, praying about the relationship that I was in, the girlfriend that I'd had the whole way through high school, that God was now challenging me Am I enough? Would you give up what you have had for me? And I was challenged in that moment just to bring that about Abraham, bringing Isaac, not knowing what the outcome was going to be, to bring that relationship to the altar and to lay it down for it to be the end, not knowing what God would be doing next. And in the middle of that moment of pain, of hurt, of not knowing what the outcome was going to be, of not knowing what was going to happen, God speaking in the midst of that prayer time with Pastor Josh standing over here, you are loved. That's enough. You are loved. Whatever happens, you are loved. You know, in the story of Abraham, he knew he was already accepted. His sacrifice didn't need to impress God. He didn't come to God with God. Is this good enough for you? He came knowing, I am already loved. God, here is everything I have. If you want it, you can have it all. Because I know that you love me and that is enough. Genesis 22, verse 11 to 14, finishes the story with, But the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And so Abraham went and took the ram and he offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And here's the piece I want to pull out. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Jireh, the Lord God is our provider. Now, our first response when troubles come and pain hits, when we've had enough, it should be, I am loved and that is enough. We need to remind ourselves that we are already loved, that God loves you completely, fully, sufficiently. He loves you enough. When it feels like the world's gone mad and everything's upside down and we don't know what's going to happen, you are loved and that is enough enough. So bringing this to a close this morning, if we are to be first responders, what is our first response to be? I want to encourage you today, it's to declare over our situation, to deliver some first aid to our spirit, the three keys that we got from Paul in Philippians 4. Number one, our identity is in Christ. I know who I am as the music team come and join us. The second one, our promises are yes and amen because I know what He's already spoken. 
And number three, our sacrifice is fully accepted because I'm already loved. Now the story of Abraham speaks of another father and his son. You know, a son whom the father loved. John 5 verse 20, it says, For the father God loves the son and shows him all things that he does himself. Now the wood of the sacrifice being laid upon Isaac the son speaks the same of what happened to Jesus. John 19, And he, Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to the place of the skull called Golgotha. And it speaks of a lamb that was offered as a substitution in our place. John 1.36 says, And looking at Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. I want to encourage you with one last piece. A father giving up his son, just like Abraham did. John 3 verse 16. This is how much God loved the world. He gave His Son, His one and only Son. And this is why. So that no one need be destroyed by believing in Him. Anyone can have a whole and lasting life. We can have enough because He died for us in our place. You are loved so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross for you, that you would come to know and understand, to experience the love of a God who would rather give up His life than to be without you. That is enough, a whole and lasting life. You know, Jesus gave up His identity in heaven so that you could find yours. He knew all of the promises of God. He was the fulfillment of the promises of God. And He came so that you could experience the promises of God. He was the perfect, loved Son of Heaven. And He gave that up to come and to be sacrificed for you, that you could experience the love of God. I come back to that night at music practice. I get Jess if you want to grab this stuff. At music practice that night, making that decision to go somewhere that I didn't particularly want to go and to receive something from God. And in the middle of that moment, in the middle of that practice session that I so much did not want to be at and so didn't want to go to, God speaks in the middle of a song, standing here on this platform with some of this team, God starts to speak directly to me and speaks out, Jira. The Lord will provide. You don't need to say yes to every opportunity that comes. You don't need to go chasing after what the world has to offer because I am enough. In the middle of that song, these lyrics stood out and we have sung them so many times before, but these words stood out so strongly, so clearly to me that night. I know who I am. I know who I am. I know what you've said. I know what you've spoken. I know who I am. I know what you've spoken. I'm already loved. I know what you've said. 
I'm already loved and that is enough. That is enough. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? That is enough. I'm already loved. I know what you've spoken. I am chosen. I am loved by you because that is enough. I want to stand here today and tell you my situation didn't change. I'm still working at the same place. I still have the same problems day after day. I still have the same issues. But what happened for me in the second half of last year was I came to the realisation that God plus me, that is enough. I don't need anything else because He loves me and that is enough. It doesn't matter if I say yes or no, whatever opportunity comes. If I end up in lockdown again or trying to teach from home, I don't care what happens because I know that He loves me and that is enough. Come on team, why you lead us in it? That is enough. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember... The door is always open for you at LifeHouse. God's house, our home.